when I was nine years old, uh, a tornado uh, went through my hometown. We lived in a suburb just outside of Dallas, Texas, you know, where tornadoes like to hang out. And, and I remember vividly, I, I was nine, and we were actually on vacation in, in Tampa. Funny enough, now I live here. Weird connection. And uh, I remember waking up, one of, this, you know, one of these memories is etched in, in my mind, and kind of coming out, we were staying at my aunt and uncle's house. I remember my uncle, you know, the, the news was on in the background, almost like having a TV here. And, and I remember him saying, like, isn't that where you guys live? We're like, what? And we had no idea. Overnight, a tornado had gone through our town. I've got a picture of, of it here. And uh, it went, traveled right through Main Street and then it ended up hitting uh, especially this guy's house. The guy actually died. And um, all because this force of destruction just came in, right, just in and out through our town and created a, just a wake of destruction. And... I remember us driving back home and, and pulling into town. It had been a few days since the hurricane. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now my world is the opposite. We don't get tornadoes here. The tornado had, had come through. No hurricanes, at least that part of Texas. And, and seeing the wake of destruction. And also noticing another force at work. Despite the destruction and the fear and uncertainty, again, as a nine-year-old, but even as an adult, I'm sure, there, there was another force, and there was the churches and the neighbors all came together, and this picture was taken. And then even just, I mean, don't, don't take away the God sign there. I mean, this is straight out of Scripture. But this is a real picture of our hometown. And, and I remember seeing this other force at work, and it was a force of regeneration and beautification and hope and love and, and growth, and, and the gospel was, was, was at work. And so if you think about that from a spiritual perspective, each one of us, any human has ever lived, has a choice. Will I live and be part of a force of destruction in our world, in our communities, in our relationships? Or will I live and bring the gospel wake of beautification and regeneration and love and hope and truth and growth and all of those things? And so I remember learning that as a, as a nine-year-old um, on through today. And so our prayer for you is that we would be and we would rise up as as part of that wake of light and love and and of the gospel because that is the gospel. And it's the thread that we're taking as we enter into this new study that we've titled Ephesians, Paul's letter to Tampa to us. As we're going to look back at at Ephesus and and the surround the world at that time and that in the Roman Empire and and what it was like Okay, a long time ago, but 2,000 years later to today, and I think you'll find it may not be as different as you might think. And so turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, it's the 10th book of the New Testament. Um, it's kind of right after Galatians, another little guy, but before that, a couple of Corinthians, Romans, Acts, or some bigger books right after the Gospel. So kind of early on in the New Testament, but pretty far through the whole, the whole of, of the Bible. And um, you can throw up that map if you want, Jordan. Thanks. Uh, I just want to give you some context. So our, our dear friend, Zach Elliott, some of you know, many of you met last week, maybe for the first time. Uh, maybe you haven't, but he is the man. And he, we kind of tasked him of, hey, man, why don't you come in and can you do a week where you walk us out of, um, we did the study of the first six chapters of the book of Acts. So what the early church, the first church was like, we call it forward and reverse. How do we look forward today? Well, we do it by 
by looking back. And so take us out of Acts and then kind of get us going in this book of Ephesians. And and so Zach kind of get a general intro to this letter that I'm going to kind of uh, piggyback off of as we kind of uh, continue moving through the first chapter uh, a little bit here. And so uh, a neat thing about Acts is um, <laughs> Ephesians, many neat things about Acts. But in Ephesians, so in 61 AD, Paul's in prison in Rome, largest city in the world, a million people living there. And he writes this letter to the Ephesians. Now, it's not just a letter to them. It's a circular letter. And Zach talked about this. It would, it would be read before their church. It would be read individually to those people. And then it would be circulated through, you can see this map, some other cities in the area. Uh, and on and on. In fact, it's so circular that not only was it circulated around Asia Minor, it's still circulated today. And in fact, you're holding it in your hands. It's on your phone. It's going to be on the screens. Like it's, this letter is like the most circulated letter of all time, I suppose, among you know a few others. And so this is the context here. So Ephesus, I want to point out, you'll start to see some similarities here to Tampa. It's a, a port city in modern-day southwest Turkey. There's, there's some news for you. And, um, and it is an incredible incredible city. It is the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. At the time, it had 0.1% of the entire global population. So if you were to put it into a modern context, the, the notoriety and the influence of this city would be equivalent to modern-day London or New York City. So this isn't just some little city like a lot of these are. This is a big deal. This is the leading city in this whole region. And um, a whole lot of culture uh, tied in there to Ephesus. In fact, uh, the next picture I want to show you um, is is the picture of the temple to Artemis, the fertility goddess. Now, this isn't just a really cool old building. This is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. In fact, many historians would look at all seven and say this was the most magnificent of all of them. It's 377 feet long, so it's longer than a football field. 180 feet wide. This thing is just basically a football stadium, but no sport just worship of Artemis, worship of fertility and all the things that go into that and wealth and, and all that they could want or desire. It happened right here. It took 120 years to build. These columns, there's 127 of them. They're each 60 feet tall. This, doesn't, this little miniature Lego thing doesn't even do it justice to how magnificent this ancient wonder was. And that's what Ephesus was known for, right in the center of the city. And, and they would come to worship Artemis, and there would be temple prostitutes, and that would be their worship service. And, and they would pray for, for rain and growth and, and reju, rejuvenation in this pagan context. And so it was a spiritually oppressed city. Despite all its wealth and its influence, it was a very, very, very dark place. But something happened in Ephesus nearly 2,000 years ago. The gospel descended on the city. And it went right to the footsteps of the temple. And Paul shows up. One man. He had Silas with him, so he had a few friends. But one man shows up. He meets a guy named Apollos, who you see show up elsewhere in Scripture. And they begin preaching that Jesus isn't just some idea. It wasn't just some guy. He said, look in your text. Look in the Scriptures. He is fulfilling these texts. He is the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One. He has come to fulfill all the promises. 
And so this all begins, it's actually covered in Acts chapter 18. You don't have to turn there, but for fun, you can turn there later. But in Acts 18, they stroll into town and they form a church. And they, they walk through the scriptures, which is what, what we're about here. Like we're walking through Ephesians. And, and explained the text and the relevancy to not only their lives today, but their eternal lives. And many people put their faith in Christ and, and a church is formed. And that's what happens in Ephesus. One man shows up, shares the word of God, and faith happens. And lives are changed. And just a kind of rhetorical question to kind of get you thinking as, as we're going to continue this morning, is who in your life is hearing or seeing, right? Use words when necessary. Who in your life is seeing or hearing the Word of God? Because you're in their life. A co-worker. A neighbor. Maybe they're serving you a meal or a drink or vice versa. See, when Paul first visits Ephesus, it's a wreck full of idol worship. It's a mess. It could be said that when Paul strolled into Ephesus in Acts 18 for the first time, in AD 50, that there wasn't one person who had ever heard the gospel of Christ. But when he left, there wasn't one person who hadn't heard the gospel. They hadn't all responded favorably, but many did, and a church started. And so Ephesus, like Tampa, it's a spiritual mess. It's full of idols, worshiping at, at temples or False equivalencies. It's a town that had anything you could ever want. All the materialism, any experience or pleasure that anyone could want, you'd go to Ephesus for. And so people would flock there to live, to retire, to have a new beginning, to vacation, to worship this, this, you know, fertility, to worship nature. That sounds like Tampa to me. But what happens here is that this Paul and friends show up and they brought the word and the way of God and it transformed a city. And, 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 and they brought this wake of regeneration and beautification and hope and life and truth. And, and so I have a, an analogy that most of you are going to probably hate. A few of you are going to like a little too much, but that's okay. It's really a lot like a zombie movie. A lot of you like zombie movies. And so what happens in every quintessential zombie movie? Okay, one guy gets infected and then passes on to another guy more and more and on down the line until there's the, the epic moment that must happen to be a zombie movie. At the very end, there's dozens or hundreds of these just crazies walking through and just kind of want to kick over the drum set or something. And there's just this wake of destruction. Everything is destroyed. But it's contagious. And you can't fight against it. It just moves on the city. Well, the way Christianity, it, it's kind of like, supposed to be like that, minus the destruction part. Um, th- that's a key part, by the way, of that. Don't go down to the hall after this and just start throwing tables. Okay? You're not Jesus and you're not a zombie, I hope. But that's the call. That's what these guys did. That's what the first book of Acts, as we look back, that's how they live. And that's the letter, that's the, the, the gospel that was taught. And so... These lives were changed. And so when God's people, what Paul's writing, and Zach touched on this last week, when God calls 
people to faithfully follow Him, we go to these places and we are contagious people, not because we're awesome, but because God is. And we live that way and it follows us everywhere we go. And so even if it's just one of us, like Paul, okay, find a Silas. Great. Two by two, that's gospel right there. Even if it's just a couple of us. Faithfully following Christ destroys the temple and wrecks the city for Christ. And so here in chapter 1, I told you we'd get there. Um, I'm just going to highlight four key phrases that I want to focus on. There is so much more in here. In fact, some of this uh, Zach covered in this text and some of even what I'm going to share he touched on, but I'm going to piggyback off of that and then go in four specific places. And here I'm going to make a promise to you. These four things are going to come from just one sentence. Uh, what I didn't tell you, and I'm about to, is it's one sentence in the, in the Greek. So it's actually 12 verses in English. But I told you it'll just be one sentence. And so I, did, I won't break that promise. But um, I want to read for you, as Zach did last week, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. One sentence. And then I want to highlight four of the uh, areas of that text. Let's read verse 3. Paul writes, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his legal heirs through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved Son. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when He revealed to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ toward the administration of the fullness of the times to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession since we were predestined according to the purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, would be to the praise of His glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who was the down payment of our inheritance, until the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. So the first phrase here I want to look at, and if you're following along on the notes here, is right in verse 3 that we are blessed in the heavenly realms. And that's a key part of this. And so this phrase actually occurs five times in the sixth chapter letter. This same phrase, that you are blessed in the heavenly realms. So Paul is really trying to circulate this among all of Christendom. And the Ephesians, as as I've set up in, in the backdrop, they needed a paradigm shift. And I think if you look around Tampa or the United States, obviously the world you'll see the same shift needed, is where the Ephesians went to Artemis for blessings. Or where maybe us in America, we look to ourselves for blessings. Maybe we look to the government. Maybe we look to someone else. But the call is to look to Christ. But not just for the good life, though it is full life now and forever, but he emphasizes in the heavenly realms. God's blessings sometimes are, but are not always earthly, physical blessings. A lot of times people teach that. 
even as we just sang that last song, there's that line in there, right? No weapon formed against me um, shall prevail, right? And, and, and praise God, that's straight out of Scripture. That is true. But what I love the song, that song doesn't just kind of hang out there and name it, claim it, and click your heels together, Dorothy. Perfect life now if you sing my song. Perfect life now if you come to church, especially if you give any of that. Not, not at all the promise of Scripture. And so while we don't maybe have a temple to Artemis in our city, there are other false god temples, no doubt about it. But there also are temples called churches that might teach something closer to that. Like, hey, if you just come here, your life will be perfect. That's nowhere promised in Scripture. Now, your eternal life will be, and that's the point. And so you follow, faithfully follow Christ. Whatever comes, right? You're talking about in the desert. Hey, no thanks, right? And, and when all, of, all hell breaks loose, I'll still bring praise. Because this is true, that we are blessed in the heavenly realms. And so nothing, that's the point of that text, of that verse, that therefore nothing can touch you, for no one can snatch you out of his hands. And so God's blessings aren't uh, of this world. They're not temporal. They're eternal. They're better. Psalm 84 assures us this, that better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. So that, I remember reading that as, a, as a, I mean, a high school or college kid and being like, wow, think of the best thing you've ever experienced. The best day of your life, the best season of your life pales in comparison, times a thousand, to one day with the Lord. Yet we're blessed eternally in the heavenly realms. There's no experience or thing uh, or feeling on this planet that will touch what Christ offers us. Yet many of us, we settle for the scraps of this world. We settle for just these little fingertip tastes and things. David continues in there. He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Ephesians are seeking earthly blessings from Artemis, the fertility goddess. Who else promises earthly blessings? Remember Matthew 4, Satan to Jesus himself says, bow down to me. I'll give you everything you ever wanted. And many a man from all time have fallen to that. But no, we don't live for the things of the world. We don't settle for physical scraps. Our treasures in heaven, and we are blessed in the heavenly realms. That's number one. The next phrase is here in verse 7 that I'm just going to highlight. Again, there's a whole lot in between that adoption and grace and other good things. So 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, Christ. In Him is Christ, Jesus. The forgiveness of our offenses, of our sins, according to the riches of His grace. And so number two there is that we are redeemed. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.20, he says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with how you live. And so we were redeemed. We were bought at the highest price of God's one and only Son, right? And so that's the gospel. And so in Ephesus, the gospel confronted face-to-face the sensuality of Artemis. And the sensuality and the wealth and the experience and the sunshine of Tampa stands at odds face-to-face with the gospel. You know, um, some of you may know this. In fact, those of you that know this, you may be checking Twitter right now to see how badly the Bucks are doing in London right now. 
But I can tell you, while the Bucks are playing a football game as I speak, um, they will likely not be playing a football game 17 months from now when the city of Tampa hosts uh, the Super Bowl. I just have a hunch. Uh, I mean, I'd be happy to be wrong. I'd be happy to be wrong. But I'll take any bets, and I'll give you real good odds. But here's the deal. The Super Bowl, it's been announced for a good year or so. They give a couple, two, three years notice so that cities can get you know, ready, prepared to host all these people, right? And that, that's, that's, that's fine. I, and I'm for uh, football. I'm for sports. I, I like Tampa teams. Um, I don't love them, but I like them. And, and so I, I love Super Bowl. And seriously, if you get a ticket, hook me up. But the city and the stadium and the airlines, they're not the only ones preparing for the Super Bowl. Modern day slavery in the form of human sex trafficking has been getting ready because they already have an infrastructure set up and we're one of their favorite cities. You know, the Super Bowl brings 10,000 prostitutes to that city. The average age of 13 years old. That means half older, half younger than 13 From the time that these slaves are forced into this, their average life expectancy is seven years. They might contract a disease. They might wear out their use. might be abused, drugged, killed. Seven years. Average age of 13. They're starting in late single digits. Ten years old. That's what the Super Bowl brings to our city. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? What is the church going to do about it? Are we just going to barbecue and enjoy the game while this happens? And, and it's not even just this happening in February of 2021. This is happening right now in our city. Just like it was in Ephesus all day, every day. And so what's the church going to do about it? We're pretty comfortable without it. But now listen, this is, this is not the, the end of the sermon. The solution is not simply, so hey, everybody, choose your own social justice issue. And, you know, whether it's sex trafficking, that would be a top one. Uh, abortion, racism, homelessness, you keep going. It's, that's good. We should be involved in those. We should bring the gospel to those. But that's the point. The solution to these isn't more picketing. It's not even more money. It's certainly not the government. I can tell you that much. It is Christ. It is the message of this letter. It is that one man, one woman, brings the gospel to a city, and it's changed. I want to show you another picture. Throw this picture up of this beautiful field. Does anybody know? No, not that one. Although that was pretty cool. Anybody know what this is? That's the temple to Artemis today. One and a half columns. Where are the other 125 and a half? They're gone. And Ephesus is deserted. No one worships Artemis anymore. Nobody. There's not, you won't find a soul that worships Artemis. She's clearly not real. The way pushed her out. The gospel descended on the city and the pagan idolatry was literally, you're looking at it, destroyed and torn down. Just like you'd read in any of these Old Testament passages. This is what God's way does. And so if you want to see the filth at Northdale Mabry or, or Kennedy Avenue pushed out, let's get about it. 
through Christ. Not through the ways and the mechanisms of this world, but spiritually. You know, again, pick your cause. You want to see um, the homeless population treated with dignity here. Not treated the way our, our city has been treating them. Maybe Christ should get involved instead of, you know, a tough mayor. And I'm not saying some of us haven't benefited by some of the things of the last, you know, couple decades in a worldly way. But we don't live for that. And so one of the ways, and Earl, the amen is perfect, you know, one way that you can get involved, one way, through Christ, is on every Tuesday night and also every Wednesday night, we have a team that goes and serves at the, the parks in our in our city to serve and feed the homeless people and connect with them. That's what the church ought to be about. And so there's a call to that. That's one way you can get involved. Again, that's not the end-all, be-all. I'm not going to shame anybody who doesn't want to get involved with that. Cool. Give to it. Cool. Make sandwiches. We want to buy a hot dog cart. I'm going to name and claim that. What is it? A, a cool grand on Craigslist? Some of you can fund that today. But we want six of them. <laughs> I keep one in my house just to kind of keep one in reserve. That'd be great for the Super Bowl. Do that hot dog cards. But what does Paul write? He says, whether you eat or drink, whatever else you do, do all of the glory of God. And that is our call here. But this picture illustrates that what was once a thriving, lively, invigorated city and activity is gone. The people who worshipped Artemis in this exact spot with sex and money and materialism, the good life, this is all I have to show for it. It's literally nothing. It's gone. And one day, same here. And so what do we live for and and what does it look like? Verse 13 here. It tells us this. Because I want to I don't want to just say, "Hey, like rah, 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 Super Bowl, Tampa, boo." No, I love Tampa, by the way. I, I I was hoping to sneak in a Rays reference, but can't do that. So, I don't know. Lightning, they lost to Ottawa. How does that happen? Ugh, Tampa sucks. <laughs> I'm kidding. I you know, we don't even have a basketball team. All right. But what does it look like? I don't want to just like preach this thing and, "Okay, guys, you know, okay, come on, kick your heels together." Paul's going to give us kind of what it looks like. And so I want to land on that here in verse 13, and we'll sneak into 14. He says this. He says, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you, when you met Christ, when you put your faith in Him, so think back to that. Some of you, it's a long time ago. Some of us, not that long ago. And maybe some of you in this room, it hasn't happened yet. So consider this. Bring your hope in Christ. When you believed in Him, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession. And so that's our third phrase. Number three, we are marked. You're marked by your Maker. The Old Testament discusses that. We're marked. If you put your faith in Christ as your only hope for salvation, you're marked. You're marked eternally in the Lamb's book of life that no one can snatch you away from that. You're also marked here and forever by His Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in you, who seals you, who helps you grow in the fullness of Christ into maturity 
you won't arrive on this, this side of eternity, but we'll grow and we'll get about his business. And then, and then the third part of that is, is you're also marked with certain gifts and talents and abilities and you're marked with influence where you live, where you work, who you meet, who you know, who's in your family, who you gather with. He marks us. At least that's his desire, to mark his people. And so that's why we just did this dedication. Samuel, I mean, Samuel Vernon, my goodness. Just amazing. He's marked. And his parents are marked. And the family that came, there's a mark over this family. There's a mark over this body. Will we walk into it? Will we, will we carry that mark out into a city, into the world? And that's why we're doing, we're having baptisms in two weeks. It's a mark. It's just a mark. It's not salvation. It's not a work that you can do to earn any favor from God. Any favor you have from Him, let me tell you, it is not from you. It is from His Son, which we'll get to in a second. And, and that's why, and this is a little plug if, if you're not aware of, we talked about it the last few weeks, but another way that you're marked is, is why right after our gathering here, um, we're going to, in fact, we, I tell you what, it's worth just seeing the room. Uh, although if you all went, that wouldn't work. So a few of you shouldn't do this, but a few of you should. But over in the office, we, we, we flipped it, and it's like actually like you can stand in there now. It's pretty cool. It's like a room, uh, not just a closet. And, but that's why we're having growth, growth Track Live number three, where we're going to walk through like who is God, who are we, how would he wire us, and what's he wants to get about. And it's very much what this text tells us. And so these are marks. So you are marked by Christ and for Christ. And so what are you going to do about it? And what does it look like? And so you're marked, uh, you know, live like it would be a nice little bumper sticker. Which gets me to verse 14. And so this is where, where I want to end. And actually, this end, while I have this, we have this one long run-on Greek sentence, it ends with one Greek word, which is another sentence. And the Greek word is eulogetos, but that would be hard for you to spell. Well, uh, maybe we made a, that's the word, out of baby. Eulogetos, like, okay, what is that? And it is exactly the closing benediction of this opener, which is the phrase to the praise of his glory, the praise of God's glory, eulogetos. It's where we get our word eulogy. At a funeral, the eulogy is where you speak well of a person. And so what Paul is writing to the Ephesians and to us today is that we ought to live a life that speaks well of God. To the praise of his glory. Eulogetos. We were made for it. We exist for the praise of His glory. And so you're marked by that if you have put your faith in Christ. And so here's the simple... I'm going to make this as simple as possible. It gets nuanced from here. Fair. But it's this simple. If you're wondering, okay, great, like, how, what do I do next? Like, wh- what do I do? I mean, I, is one person going to solve human trafficking? Maybe. Or these other problems? Maybe. You know, two, three, four hundred thousand, a million, a million will. So be one of them. But it's the simple. Whatever you do next, you can't change a minute ago, but you can change right now and now and now and now. Whatever you do next, it's the simple. Here's all you need to do. Every single one of you. Is whatever it is or isn't, be sure that it is to the praise of God's glory. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to live. I don't know what to buy, what to not. I don't know what to give. I, 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 all these things, it's like, I don't know. How do I do it? 
whatever it is, do it to the praise of his glory. In your marriage, have a marriage to the praise of God's glory. In your job, again, don't, please don't all quit your jobs and become pastors because we won't have any money. All right, so don't do that. But in your job, in that circle of influence, do it to the praise of God's glory. When you leave here, you go to eat. All like it's that, it's really it really is that simple. Everything you do, whether you eat or drink, whatsoever else you do, do it all to the glory of God. Eulogetos. This is what Paul is telling us to do. Because you're marked. And here's the sweet spot of this advice. It's freeing. Like it doesn't rely on you. You don't. Which again, you don't. I don't have what it takes. But if I'm being faithful to God, to the praise of His glory, He'll take it from there. And so it's freeing. So we, we have the freedom to stop performing, to stop striving, to stop trying to earn it on our own. Even, even if it's good intentions, like I want to solve this issue or I want to reach my neighbor for Christ and shaking him hasn't worked. Stop doing that. Just, just be a great neighbor. Like, you know, take your trash out and like mow your lawn and things and like invite them over. And go to their house. And just things like that. Build relationships and let Christ, the Holy Spirit, who is marking you, work through you to the praise of His glory. And so in anything, just simply ask under your breath, Lord, is what is what I'm about to do or not do, is it bringing you glory? And if the answer is yes, more of that. If it's no, well, then maybe about face. And so this is the call. And this is why He came. And so I want to ask because I'm a why guy like I'm not like a don't tell me what to do or not do like I just it doesn't end well for anybody why right why is he doing this why is he choosing us adopting us why is he granting his grace why is he marking us why is his spirit coming why is he calling us like why aren't we just beamed up Scotty to heaven when we're when we're saved because he has us on mission here but let me ask you this why does he extend his grace to us? Why does he do all of this? Is it for you and me? I mean, yeah, kind of. Okay, don't. Yes. Praise God. I mean, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We are we are without hope apart from you. But but no, he does it for himself. He desires to present every single one of us holy and mature and fully transformed and redeemed and righteous before himself to the praise of his glory. That's why he does all of this. And that's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to be homely, ho- ho- holy and blameless before him. But he's calling us to be holy and blameless for him. That's how great our God is. He's greater than Artemis. He's greater than the United States and Tampa and all of the luxury and and the beach, and the money, and the experience, and the sex, and it's better than all of that. He is everything. This is what He's doing. It's what He did then. It's what He's always done. And He's not done doing that. And He's calling us to get about His business.